Sports fans rejoice. You're listening to My Team, My Voice with MTMV Sports. Hey, what's going on? It's Justin Sarachik, editor of Rapzilla.com, and you are watching MTMV Sports. Keep it locked. Stuck inside of this basement, wasted. Dream so big, so vivid, I mean, I swear to y'all, I can taste it. Kick so good, but I don't know none of y'all out here that's gonna make it. So I go and get mine from the public, and they love it, but I'm chasing. Hey, how y'all doing? It's Rick Sincere with MTNV Sports, and I am blessed to be joined by Lila Brown. So happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining me. We really, really appreciate you. Owner of Team EBMG, um, an awesome sports agency. Uh, she's an entertainment publicist. Thank you so much for joining us today. We truly, truly appreciate you. How are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? Thanks for I, having me. <laughs> oh, it's my great. absolute pleasure. It's my absolute pleasure to have you on today. Um, so you're the owner of, I want to say, Ella B Media Group, right? So Team e, um, EBMG, a sports agency that provides PR, media relations, talent booking, sponsorship, social media marketing, and much more. Can you tell us a little bit more uh, about your media company and how it serves its clients? Sure. Uh, so LB Media Group or Team EBMG, we are currently based out of Los Angeles, California. And we started about 11 years ago. It was myself and RJ Thorpe. And so he had his own thing going on the marketing side. I was doing media. And so we decided to combine our talents, uh, leverage our the clients that we had and just like service both in that way. And so from there, um, it was always my dream to really expand into global sports. And so we started to do Olympics. Um, a lot of Olympians were attracted to us. Um, he had a great background in NFL, NBA from working with agents. So he really taught me how to recruit. And then just because we were in Atlanta at the time, at the start of our business, um, there was all kind of hip hop acts. So I worked with Killer Mike. He worked with T.I. Um, in his past. And so um, and then I had the client uh, that had the song Swag Surfing. <laughs> They were at Dev Jam at the time. It was a group called FLY. So we were just picking up all types of entertainment clients in Atlanta. But we started to realize, like, we were these, like, big fish in a, a very small pond. And so that's Atlanta started to feel a little crowded for us. And so um, we wanted more of a challenge. So we decided to pack up, head out west. And um, from there, it's just... I think we like the challenges, but it has really helped us expand our network. I mean, we have taken our clients from New York Fashion Week. We take them to um, bookings all over the globe. Um, they're book- booked internationally. So, um, and then a lot of the sponsorship deals we do commercial marketing wise, um, major Fortune 500 companies. Um, we do everything from uh, on set with them at commercials to like, you know, negotiating contracts. So we, we're doing it all social media deals, everything. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay. So it seems like you're, okay. You moved from Atlanta, right? And, and when you say Atlanta, you know, a small pond, I'm like, oh snap, you move, <laughs> you moving big then. <laughs> no, out. it was just, it was just that so many uh, people were graduating from like the AUC. They oh, were yeah. graduating from, you know, and so they all, we all had pretty much the same degree, but it was at the time of the recession. Mm-hmm. And so there were no jobs. And so you had to be independent, which was great at the time, but then every, you know, because people weren't being hired, then they would start their own business. And it just really kind of brought down the industry. And so you were flooded with just all these newbies who didn't really have internship experience, but, you know, or didn't even really understand the profession. And so um, we had our alliances, but even still to our partners in Atlanta, it just made sense to, uh, 
you know, let them know that we could be a resource for them also in L.A. Like, so when we go back home, there's certain people that we check in with. And when they come out to L.A., whether it's BT Awards or the ESPYs or what have you, everybody knows to hit us up, you know, let us know um, what they're doing in town. But also, um, we, we love being a resource and saying, this these are the A-list events, red carpet events, this is what's going on. And then really publicists should be working better together um so we will so for a group of publicists and i we we, we compile all events like you know there's an a-lister publicist that is amongst our clique she would send us to make sure that all the a-list events not saying that our clients can get in but at the same time we're at least trying to pull our resources together so i've seen some really good um collaborations that way i love it you, you mentioned events and, and there's a lot that goes into, you know, what you're doing and, and it surrounds events, right? But we're like in a pandemic right now. So where the events have been decreased severely. So because the events have kind of almost disappeared a little bit, talk to us about how you're, you're still kind of moving around that and getting things done with, with your company. Yeah. So a lot of what I'm, I'm doing is behind the scenes work anyways. So, um, a lot of production, photo shoots, just things that our clients would normally have time for. And we're always telling like, you need to do this. You need to get your social media following up. Just those things we're always nagging about. Go do a photo shoot. Um, let's get your company, I mean, not your company, but let's get your uh, athlete bio written or let's get, you know, let's do some some behind the scenes interviews. Just things that we always tell them to do, we now have time to do. So they kind of see that we, they kind of see like, yeah, this is, this is good. But in terms of the events, um, all those events that went virtual, I will say this, when you see every year a group of us saying Oscar's so white, or when you see that we're being excluded from certain award shows, it's kind of nice to see them shut down. (laughs) 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 How far you think you was going to get discriminating against genius and Mm. creative talent that makes Mm. up the black community? So it's just funny to see all those things struggling, see AEG struggling. It ain't just us, but they had million dollar events, concerts. And uh, it's like, let, let's leverage some of this. Like, let's even the playing field. Like, you had you heard so many horror stories about corporate companies, um, what they were doing to torture our people behind the scenes. So I'm kind of happy to see a lot of these companies shut down and go out of business. Because uh, you still hear the horror stories. People, you know, because of Me Too and more people speaking out about injustices, True. a lot of people are coming out and like, I was being tortured at this company, but they released that that pop, that corporate responsibility, you know, press release. And, and at the same time, the Black employees are being harassed, racially harassed and, and um, suppressed and ignored so, and, and devalued. So um, in terms of events, though, for somebody like me who claims to be a global socialite and there's no parties. I'm going to make a party out of anything. I, I really will. Like, so it was just about, I've been doing Facebook lives and Instagram lives and Periscopes for years. And now I see everybody's like trying to make this mm. at home party. So it's really cool. Um, I think we're going to have to start embracing virtual reality. So I'm already looking into content creation. Like I want to create, um, I have a cannabis line out. So I want to create a cannabis lounge because we can't have cannabis restaurants. You know what I'm saying? So create a lounge, have the VR, the stoners, come on. <laughs> this is my side business. But have them like, you know, create a lounge for them, you know, create a nice atmosphere. Maybe there's some music playing. So I think content creation for virtual augmented reality is going to be the new event. I don't see things easing up. I don't see us ever going back to sporting events the way we mm. used to. 
I don't see us having award shows and red carpet events the same way. It might, they might still try to have it, but um, is it really safe? Is it, is it worth it? So for the Cannes Film Festival, just things like New York Fashion Week. I saw some countries have Fashion Week, but now I see that their cases are also going up when it comes to mm. COVID. So, you know, it looks good. So I think, but you also seeing some, some Black designers that never had a chance like uh, I think her, her name is Hamima or something like that. She had a virtual reality model walking. And as the model was walking, the clothes were virtually changing. It was so beautiful. It was like fairies were like giving her a new dress. And then she, she just walking forever, like forever walking. And as she's walking her body type or whatever, um, the clothes were changing. Mm-hmm. When that hit this summer, I believe, Everybody in the fashion world was like, whoa, and a black woman gets to say she was the first to have a virtual reality fashion show. So that's where innovation comes in. That's where our people provide creative solutions. And if it was normal fashion, she probably would have got lost in the sauce. Mm-hmm. She would have been part of all the clutter. So when I, I try to tell our people, you know, we've been so downtrodden and we make a way out of no way. But at the same time, when we see them falling, we should look at it as opportunity for us to rise. Like, don't let their downfall be our downfall because they segregated the rewards. <laughs> they segregated us getting the uh, the money, the capital. So why do we think we're going to be in their part of their demise? So I tell our people to be safe, wear your mask, social distance, appreciate this time of, you know, some, that might be our safety and protection to be separated in so, so many ways. As you can see, they still harassing us in the stores. They still all, all up in our face. But this is supposed to be a time of social distancing. So I think a lot of our people starting to realize segregation was, may have been a better model and option, <laughs> to be honest with you. Talk to me about your, because you mentioned um, you as a publicist. Talk to me about your start as a publicist. How did you get that start? Yeah, in Atlanta, um, I was working for several PR companies. And at the height of the recession, I just wasn't getting hired. I never even really thought about being an entrepreneur. Mm. It's something my mom would just like push in my head. I don't ever let another woman be your boss. Like she had all this sticking to the bed. And I was like, whatever, I'm going to get a job and be okay. Like, let me just be normal. And then when we graduated, um, I I had all this experience. Is being a PR intern. I thought it was going to be like a career intern. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So then um, I did get on for some jobs. That kind of hurt. But I had all this experience. So I just said, you know what? I'm just going to start tapping into my network. I'm a member of Alpha Gabba Alpha. That's a great place to start. So diverse. Um, there were other small businesses in Atlanta. I'm the type of person, if I see a small business I like, I'll drive up in there and be like, if it's a restaurant, hey, can I do some PR for your restaurant? Can I help promote your menu to some foodies? Like, I'm very proactive. If I'm not getting the business, I'm going to go out and get it. Mm-hmm. So my first project was a movie called Grapes on a Vine. And um, it was starring um, Jasmine Lewis, who's a great actress, uh, Black actress out here. She's amazing. Um, Gregory Allen, Dwayne Boyd. It was it was really dope. Uh, and so I was doing PR just for the producers, just for the directors. They were out in Atlanta. And this was their first time really doing a movie, but they were really, they were able to book some amazing t- talent. So one of the actresses I noticed, you know, I started following social media. So she was like, I'm in Atlanta. I'm filming stuff with Tyler Perry, right? And she was like a recurring role in the Tyler Perry. So I said, oh my gosh, I really need you to do some local PR because you're like the star of the movie. And I think like, 
with you doing the Mike, she did the Michael Strahan show and then she was doing some Tyler Perry guest starring roles. So I said, can I use you real quick to promote not only what you're doing there, but to promote this movie that I'm, this independent movie I'm doing. And so when she came to Atlanta, she was like, I haven't even done Good Day LA yet. And I come out here just to film and you got me on Good Day Atlanta. So she was just like, Yo, the the publicist in LA would like die. Like, there, I I can't think of one good publicist in LA that's putting it down like you. So she she introduced me to Melissa Ford. Um, she um really helped introduce me to like this this black Hollywood. Like Vivica A. Fox is part of her social circle. Mm. Um, I need to talk to Jasmine again. I need to get back caught up with her because it's time to kind of like renew. Like, but anyways, from there, <laughs> she was just like, "You are so amazing, and you're so good at what you do." So then I started. I came out to L. A. for I believe the Grammy, and I was like, "Jasmine, do you want to go to some gifting suites? Do you want to go to?" She was like, "Girl, yes." She was just like, "Who are you?" And so she really like was my first like real like uh just as an independent coming from a movie that's one thing but then to connect with one of the actors and then that really helped me feel confident about moving to LA knowing that I'll at least have some friends um because of her I met this actor named Romeo Brown Romeo Brown's like best friends with the um the Pinkett Smith family so um and Overbrook so he's introducing us to Shamar Moore when we come out here but still I'm not bagging them as clients so you see a lot of Black Hollywood is a lot of friendships it's a lot of relationship building. And it's just really about being honest about what you want. Like to be in a room with a Will Smith, you think, what can you offer him? But just talking to him about how we kind of see some solutions for the industry. Mm. Um, my business partner talking to people like Nate Parker about be independent. We're independent. So you could be independent too. And then he went on to do Birth of a Nation. My, my business partner literally told him, instead of sitting around waiting for them to give you a role, go create a role. Mm. And so then he was like, okay, he thought about that. And then we saw maybe not even two years later, Birth of a Nation is in production and rolling out. So um, for us, just providing public relations is just sometimes telling people some things that they can do better um, with their brand and their image, because I want them to understand that they are affecting like children. Like they do have, they are role models. So some of the business decisions they made, like Tyler Perry, the things that he did with his studio, like that inspires a whole new generation so we just want to see better business amongst you know blacks and entertainment all together so we just i'm just happy to be a part of that yo so you mentioned being in the room with all these like a-listers right seeing a lot of black hollywood and being in these these are these are places and spaces most people never go right yeah. like they'll just love them from afar and if they do something wrong they'll be like oh my god you know i, w- I was such a fan of them right but they'll never be in a one-on-one conversation <laughs> When you found yourself in that very first room, what did that feel like? Mm, some of those first rooms, it feel it felt like I have a job to do, so I don't. I didn't even have time to really think about. I was doing a lot of that in Atlanta already. Um, Carrie Hilson was coming out at the time. Um, you know, Jermaine Dupri is always doing stuff in the city. Neo was breaking out. So you were. So Atlanta was a really good practice run, but it was more so about getting that photo up, getting that. Um, if I have a client there and my client's like an up and coming actress, you know, if there's Monica in the other corner, I don't have time to be. Uh, I have clients there. And I'm working. So that's why Jasmine Lewis. She was like, girl. She said, I've been to parties where my publicist at the time would, Denzel would be over in the corner and she would never make an introduction, never help me get a photo op. So she was just saying like the little stuff that you think you do what people might even think is annoying or you're working too hard. She's like, that is what makes a good publicist. And I wish we had more like you in LA. So when I was in um, Atlanta, I would definitely make sure like I would put my budding 
artist. Like my, my cousin was a rapper. I was using him as a guinea pig. I was like, we're going to get you um, pictures with Rick Ross. We got him pictures with, uh, <laughs> just because it helps his brand, his credibility. So public relations is all about increasing your brand awareness and credibility. So let him look like he was a viable artist. So I can do that with anybody. Um, I did have a, a group called SLY at the time. They, they tell me that they regret it, not listening to me a lot of those times, mm. saying, hey, come to this party. Neo's there, come to this party, Jeezy's there. And they were kind of like, they had really bad management who was kind of like telling them to do opposite of what I was suggesting. But um, it, it just, now it, it's, it's kind of like where we got to play catch up. It's like sometimes with public relations, we're, the, we're doing the cleanup job. Like we're like the Olivia Pope of like <laughs> DUIs. <laughs> like they, they get DUIs and stuff like that. And then they want to call us and then they want to listen. But sometimes it doesn't go without... Um, the fact that they're going to listen to their lawyer first, they're going to listen to whoever keeps them out of jail. So you, but you have to think like, okay, that's one thing you're out of jail, but your brand is ruined. So we had to like do a lot of uh, crisis communications, but just to be in those rooms sometimes, I kind of, I just kind of started to relax a little bit and say, you don't have to always work the room. Sometimes you can get so much further just being, a, a, you'd be surprised a lot of these celebrities are lonely. That's why they end up picking a lot of like bad friends. They have a, they sometimes around a bad crowd. And so I just want to be that person that's for one, just like tell them that, you know, they, they thank you for your talents, like your, your contribution to the culture. I think that's important, but also send it to them about like, what do you have going on in your life? Like, is there anything that we can help you with? Or just, do you need some PR advice? Because honestly, if we're really all in this together, the things that you do affects, affects me as a business person. Mm -hmm. So it's about letting them know that too. Like, no, I'm, I watch all your, when I met Jadena, I'll say this, it's one thing when you meet your crush. When I met Jadena <laughs> and my business partner who was my fiance at the time was right there. And I'm just like, I'm not gonna play my business partner fiance for Jadena. But I did sit down and have a very important conversation with him. Like, yo, when I listen to your music, I'm meditating. I'm, you know, doing my peace pipe. I'm, um, I'm, I'm at my altar listening to your music. He was like, oh, really? That's cool. I have an altar in my studio. So I was like, oh, our altars are connecting. You know, just like, this is so cool. But it was just really more so about letting him that, know that his music does affect me in a certain way. And it, it, hopefully he feels that responsibility, you know? Wow. Wow. Okay. So you've been in business. Well, you've been like a publicist for a while, but the team E. EBMG, right? That's been around for 11 years so far. Yeah. Um, so if that's been around for 11 years, you said you got together with a business partner. That's how I got started. Um, underneath, but that's how that, it, that's how it that's how it went to the next level. But we okay. were already in operation. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Started. So how to get started? Well, it started for me independently. And so then I started uh, what I, I did an event for Heinz Ward, just an independent publicist doing my thing. Um, what made it more of a media group is when I got with RJ Thorpe, my business mm. partner. He's on Clubhouse too. <laughs> so RJ was just kind of like this champion for women in business, women in sports. And he was just like, you know, marketing wise, you should be thinking more female athletes. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. What do they do for female athletes but give them some peak some pink stuff, whatever's in the men's version, just shrink it and pink it. But um, mm -hmm. when he did that, he really, we, we did, ended up doing the first ever endorsement deal for uh, Under Armour and track and field. 
And uh, that was when Natasha Hastings. Now, Natasha Hastings was kind of like what I'll say was our anchor. She was our first project we really worked on together. And was like, we could really do this. Like, we were just doing PR and marketing. But then she came to us like, yeah, you guys are really good at what you do. Can you do more? <laughs> can you do more like management? So we were just, so we we had to have our own personal conversations. Like, can we really do this? And we said, we got to listen to our clients, our customers. Like, if your customers and clients are saying, we want to pay you more, there's opportunity for you to make more money by extending your services, expanding, then let's try it. But I also understood being a manager took a lot of me investing my personal dollars. You know, sometimes if they don't, like I see it in the music industry, if they don't have enough money for a photo shoot, the manager has to provide it. But what the artist or the talent doesn't know is that you have to pay that money back somehow some way so if i give you a booking that is ten thousand dollars appearance fee but in the past i've spent over seven hundred dollars and like you know little fees and whatever you're gonna that's gonna come out you know um and and then they always have an issue with it but if they go over to a, a larger agency like wilhelmina model modeling or they go over to like a, a caa they they take their money if they had to go get you a flight in the past and you just think oh my my agent is so boss they just got me a plane ticket but you don't know that accounting department <laughs> we in business here they don't even know they record of charges um mm. sometimes with interest so they better be happy that they ain't, nobody's making them pay the interest mm. on those things so when we got Natasha Hastings and just talking to her and realized we're helping her more with her career, her life skills and things like that, then yeah, we, we started to take on a, a more expanded role, more of a management role. You mentioned um, shrink it and pink it. And my wife tells, okay, so sometimes we'll have maybe like a female guest on, right? And when I'm doing the design, right, to put that out, I, I may think, okay, cool, I'm going to put this, I'm going to put this here, I'm going to put it, make it really nice, make it big, but I'm also maybe put it in pink. Um, I don't, I, I, it, that's the first thing, and she's always like, don't do that, right? Um, you know, come at it a, a right. different way. And and you know what? Shout out to her for saving me in some cases. <laughs> um, some cases, I don't, you know, she doesn't get to me first, so I may put it out in pink. Yeah. Um, yeah. what is, is that, is that like a trigger? Is that like a thing in, in sports media that maybe we should be thinking about? Yeah, well, the thing is, it's like, okay, if I like this jersey and you wanted to give it to me in my size, I want it in the team colors still. You know, I still, and I, and so I think Nike has done a really good job with coming out with some things for different body types. But to just say, to say it just seems so cheap. You know, it seems very mm. easy. It seems like an easy cop out. And there's not anything wrong with it. A lot of companies were doing it for years until they started getting more women at the table to say, hey, we want, the same thing, just more of our size. Like, I think the NFL did a really good job with that campaign. Like, you saw Condoleezza Rice as an owner, Serena Williams as an owner as well. Um, and they they showed, like, the NFL jerseys. It's not just about shrinking and pinking. It, it is not, it's not your fault. That, that's probably, like, the easiest way out to handle that, you know, to, to cure that with that female customer. But I think as you start to, you know, realize like, oh, that's some money to be made there. I think you listen to your customers and you see what they want. And it seems like the women wanted more variety than just, they did, that would just seem like such an easy cop out. And it's like, are they really like, tailored to the dimensions of our body kind of like with women, they have the curves so that that shirt needs to come in need to be t a little bit more tapered if that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah. the body types for a woman, it's not just giving her that same boxy tee. It's about understanding that her curves may, you know, hit, you need to be cinched in a certain place. You're making some <laughs> for this area, you know, the, the whole thing. So it's like, you could tell like 
the brands that really are trying to get a good fit for women as opposed mm. to just like giving the same thing but just smaller sizes. Mm, mm. So as you're moving, right? Like you're moving, you're doing well, um, things are kind of, you know, going in the right direction. Tell me about that first moment when you realized that, okay, so you came up with this media company, you talk about the Hans Ward event. When did you realize that moment that says, you know what, this is, this has legs. Like I know exactly what, what's going to happen. I can envision a bigger thing for my, for me and this group. Um, I can see, you know, I can see the future and it's, it is really bright. That would probably have to go back to Natasha Hastings and then bagging LaShawn Merritt as a client. Mm. He was um, somehow, I mean, I I, big shout out to our website at the time. My SEO was off the chain and his agent found us. It was just like, hey, um, you know, this guy, he's going to be a a huge client, but he's a huge problem too. He's coming off a drug suspension. Mm-hmm. And then his drug suspension was based on the fact that he was taking like some, some sex pills to make it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so he, but it had an active ingredient that was banned on the Olympics list. So even though he was just doing it for personal sexual purposes off the track, um, you know, I had to do that cleanup job and we had such a good time with him. But then, you know, Natasha Hastings let us know, like she didn't want to let other track and field athletes know that she was working with us. Mm. So while we might think that it's, oh, she's embarrassed to be represented by black. Oh, she just didn't want nobody else to get the publicity she was getting. Mm. She didn't want anybody else to get the opportunity. So I just hope that, you know, I just try to consult other black businesses. It's like, please look at it as community and not competition. Like, um, but other athletes saw that they said, if she won't tell us, we'll find out for ourselves. So I'm so, so happy. So this agent had over 20 track and field athletes. And so she would send us all her clients. But the thing is, for us to really know that we were capable of doing management, it was just really us reaching out to the athletes and always getting that, that good response. And then we were getting in rooms with people like before they blew up. Gabby Douglas and Simone Biles and having the eyes for them. And even though they did not sign with us, they went over to um, a white sports agency. But when they hit, it let me know that I had an eye for talent. Like my business partner taught me how to recruit. I went to them. I pitched them for two years uh, before Simone Biles blew up. I was talking to her grandfather, taking her family out to breakfast meeting with them at competitions, advising them of what I thought she could make in the marketplace. I told her her father, grandfather at the time, I said, she's going to be the Serena Williams of her sport. To this point, but he's like, really? I said, she's going to be the queen of gymnastics. Like she's going to dominate for the next. So we'll see what she does in Tokyo. But um, I told them that. So then it was me learning how to trust myself. Like whatever I see, like there's a read, like follow that. So I never, even when I met Meghan Markle, when I met Meghan Markle, it was at the Prada Econoclast party during New York Fashion Week. Dwayne Wade was there, um, Gabriel Union, and then this little actress that nobody knew, but she was on my favorite TV show called Suits. And usually I'm setting up the photo opportunity for my clients to take a picture with her. And this time something said, no, you actually even know who she is. You take a picture with her. So then a month later, she started dating Prince Harry. So I start to say, okay, I got a little psychic abilities here. Like I know who I, I'm a queen maker, and it was so funny. So somebody just posted in the Queen um, Meghan Markle group on Facebook a picture with her, Dwayne Wade, um, at that party. So then I did a split screen. Like, look, I was at that party too. Like when I say you on my social, like I'm not playing with y'all. Like um, it's just about having that eye. Like 
And then when you go to these events, you have to know what other celebrities are going to be there because sometimes their TV show is going to be coming out. They're going to be the next big star. So when you're in L.A., you really can't afford to just treat somebody like they're a nobody. Like I have a client, his his movie just came out on um, Disney Plus called Safety. And we've been sitting on this piece of information that the movie was going to come out in November. It's a Disney Plus movie. Um, it's a sports um, movie and it's called Safety. So we've known this whole year this movie was going to come out in November, you know? So we just kind of been sitting, just seeing how the city, like the, how he goes from almost like nobody to somebody. Even though he played on the show, uh, CW's All-American, we literally watched like people ignore him. So now the world's opening up for him. His name is Jay Reeves. He was All-American? Yeah. <laughs> what, what role did he play? Oh gosh, don't ask me. I didn't even see it. Okay, <laughs> okay, 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 okay. I ain't going to do you like that. I ain't going to do you my like business, that. My business he's like you need to watch it he's uh and i think i think his character got killed what yo hold up look at jay reeves <laughs> i was like i, I love all american i ain't going front and, with and you and i got another client from um black lightning yeah i know this dude i think he's like the next lorenz tate <laughs> he looks like lorenz Oh, yo, yo, yo! For people, for people who need to know that Sean Scott. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yep, yep. That Sean Scott. Um, and yep, Sean Scott. And he was on um All American. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yes, Sean Scott, All American. Is Jay Reese? He's in a new Disney Plus movie called Safety, and um, just watching, working with him. And then there's another um actor from Black Lightning. His name is uh, Dobby or Snell, and he plays Will on um black lightning he's part of the 100 on the show but mm. just like you're just watching these people like um just watch how hollywood treats them sometimes it's very interesting they can literally be a nobody to somebody overnight but the thing is if i'm a good publicist and then i'm working with other publicists and they know that i'm, I'm i put out quality talent then they're gonna trust me they're like okay lila we'll let them come to this event we'll let them do this any other because we trust you we know that you have viable clients um we have clients that play on the lakers that won championship rings. Um, we have clients that win gold medals. So it just becomes a part of the, if you get so caught up in like, oh, my client won, and then you're not focusing on the now what, and then the mm-hmm. so what, then you're gonna get lost. Um, you're going to miss a lot of opportunities. So for us, um, it's really about leveraging success and you gotta take it in stride. You can't like get so excited that you are just so hyped and you're just celebrating the parade, but you once that parade is over, you got to leverage that. And if you can't turn those into dollars, you will get dropped. Like you will get fired. The clients mm. will fire you. I know you get. I give you a lot of puzzle looks. Y'all have no idea the kind of stuff we go through behind the scenes. Um, it's a lot of pressure. And at the end of the day, it's still uh, as a black-owned business. Sometimes the clients don't even want. I've had a client tell me, a track and field athlete, tell me like, you know, I, I like work with y'all, working with y'all, but I also understand y'all are black-owned business, and y'all probably go through a lot of the discrimination I'm going through in my mm. sport. And, and and so it's just like almost giving the racist power because. Um, they it's like why would i hire you you're gonna you're gonna have a hard time getting the job done are you really gonna be able to get the and i'm like please (laughs) when it comes to negotiation like let's get the offer on the table first but it was really a lot of times like people even sometimes the the white agents would tell athletes not to hire when whoever you hire don't hire a black-owned agency like they're saying that to the athletes 
um, athletes are coming back telling us like, yeah, man, they tell us like, I'd rather you hire my competition as opposed to hire a black agency. And, and then they put it under the guise like, because I really care about your career. So we still got that stigma. Like I said, Gabby Douglas and Simone Biles went with white sports agents. And, and doesn't don't act like I didn't recruit them. Um, Gabby's not even with her, uh, hello. Gabby's not even with her original um, agent anymore. Gabby Douglas is not. And, and, and then you saw how with all that racial harassment she received, even from her own people, mm-hmm. um, nobody was there to really shield and protect that girl. And that's why she should have won gold medals in her uneven bars. She won all around, but she can't win in her specialized event. Gabby didn't want to win because it brought too much attention that she was not ready for. When she mm-hmm. won that all around medal and she started to get all that attention and love, she remembers those days when people told her she couldn't. So it was, it's, it's really mentally, it really messes up a lot of people because they remember those days. It's like, dang, like they didn't even help me get here, but now that I'm here, they want to put me in all the commercials. So if she would have, I felt like if she would have had somebody like us on her team, just to be like that, even with Colin Kaepernick, like we did some work with Colin Kaepernick, just like, and then we see like, the, even though we did uh, just a few projects with him, I, I look like how he, how he, took up for us and really stood up or stood down for us you know he kneeled for our plight so it's like sometimes it's just about getting in the psychology of these people to let them know like black lives matter um when when Simone Biles when she uh, was on the cover of Vogue she upset the entire black community because they didn't like her photo shoot that Ann Leibovitz did and she didn't, it was not good lighting, her styling was bad, it was very lazy. And then the same week, Viola Davis on the cover of Vanity Fair, looking like a goddess queen of the world. And you're just like, that's the difference when you hire a black photographer. That's the difference when you have like black hair and makeup, you have black styling, as opposed to just giving yourself to these white companies. They don't care about how your image affects other little black girls. They really don't. Mm. You've never seen a Gabby Douglas or Simone Biles at a BET Awards. So somebody like me would make sure that they're relating to their public. That's what public relation is. Mm. We are your fan base. We are the culture. You should be at Black Girls Rock. You know what I'm saying? You should be not. If, if you could do the MTV Awards, you could do Black Girls Rock. Oh, oh, Michelle Obama was there. So when you don't have somebody on your team that really cares about our community, then th- they're not leveraging their celebrity really for our, our agenda. So, and sometimes they don't even want to be the agenda. But I know when George Floyd happened and Breonna Taylor, I just kind of watched a lot of celebrities. It's like, where were you mm. when we were crying over Trayvon and Tamir Rice and Sandra Bland? But it's just that be- people were at home bored this time of the year. You know, normally these things would happen and we, oh, but here's a war, uh, war show to distract you. Here's the Super Bowl to distract you. So it's really weird being, uh, having a militant mindset being proactively black and um, being in a sports entertainment industry because you you think you you want to come in and make a difference and really teach these celebrities how to use their powers for good and then sometimes you are despised because you are disrupting and you are demystifying and they're, you're breaking that spell like they're under hypnosis like Hollywood is all this and then you come in like whatever Black Lives Matter and then you pop that bubble for them so that's what happens a lot. I need to so. know about your eye. Cause I always feel like I, I can see it before it's happening, right? Like I can mm-hmm. I can see it. What about mm-hmm. those particular people, right? Signaled something in your mind to say that's it. They're gonna be the next this or the next that, right? And you're see- yeah. if you're seeing stuff beforehand, what what signal? What's that feeling like? What what do you get? I okay. So I know sports. 
So when I was looking at Simone Biles trying to recruit her early, I was looking at the what they call the gem internet. I was on mm-hmm. Tumblr. And I was, there's this thing called gym, like gym secret confessions. And so they talk about, like, these girls are snarky. Like, these fans are snarky. And Simone knows it too. All the gymnasts know it. But when they started saying things like certain things about Simone, I was like, okay, let me dig into her gymnastics. So I was already looking at her gymnastics. I already loved her gymnastics. But I said, ooh, how is she going to do in the code of points? She's very strong. She's She's bouncing higher and she, you know, her, her power tumbling is like so stupid sick. So then I'm watching this girl get stronger. I watch them when they're um, in injuries and I'm watching how they're coming back from injuries. So when it comes to track and field, it's all about times. When it comes to swimming, it's Mm -hmm. all about times. But it's when it's something that's judgmental, like a figure skater or a um, gymnast, you have to know. Like, okay, she nailed a double Arabian twist, you know, into it. You know, you got to know the, you have to know the sport. So, but then you look at them and say, dang, she's actually kind of cute. Um, she, we could probably help integrate her into some fashion and beauty cosmetics. Um, when I'm looking at it, I'm always looking, what can I do with them outside? Because there's some athletes who have tons of gold medals that you would not even know their name. It's because they just, their personality doesn't translate. So they, they have to have that, that um, I don't want to even say all American, but that's what they kind of try to paint Gabby Douglas as. Oh, she's cute, all American, but Gabby had a chip on her shoulder. <laughs> so um, that doesn't always translate to, you know, her being a puppet and pawn for them. But you really got to look at people and say, okay, they have a little bit something more than just gymnastics. They have a little bit more than just um, their sport. Like if you see somebody like a, I say like a Victor Cruz, he likes fashion or he likes to look good. He really likes to show off his fashion. Or if you see somebody like a a, a Russell Westbrook, yeah, you see that he's taking <laughs> he's taking his time. Or even um Cam Newton, you know, when you see somebody like that, that's the type of person. I'm like, brother, do you want to go to Milan? See, nobody on his sports team knows anything about going to Milan, mm. but I do. So what I end up doing is because, like, I'll be honest with you, they do not like to pay Black-owned agencies. And a lot of times the white agencies are not charging them money either. They just get, uh, they get paid off the influence about leveraging their influence. Mm. So if I see somebody like uh, a Cam Newton, I'm going to... I'm going to first check in with the fashion world to see if they even really want him at their shows. It's like, hey, would you want an NFL player from the United States at your show, right? Um, Sitting front row at Fashion Week. Sometimes the schedule doesn't work out. But if I can get a few invitations, I will go back to his agent and hopefully go back to him and be like, hey, I got you into the uh, Versace show or I got you into the, you know, whatever show. But then they're like, okay, what's so good about going to fashion shows? You have to let them know. You get to meet the designers, go backstage. Maybe you can end up walking in the show. But then they could end up sponsoring you because I, I try to go with fashion brands that have an affinity towards sports in Hollywood. You know, the, the ones that you kind of see uh, styling athletes and certain, you know, actors. I try to, you know, the ones that are really good about lending out clothes or styling fashion photo shoots. So whenever I see somebody that's, so we do like Hollywood and sports, anything that blends Hollywood and sports, fashion, sports, entertainment, we're trying to uh, bring those together. And a lot of times people don't see the vision. And so that's okay. That's again, where the psychic abilities come in. You're just like, I got to trust my gut. I got to trust my intuition. And, um, and a lot of times when they see it, they're like, oh, I, I get, I get it now. I, I see what you were trying to do there. Talk to me about um, some of your biggest 
I mean, you've actually mentioned some of your wins already, right? Um, but what was, <clears throat> but what are some of your latest wins? Like your biggest win? You you pull a client. What's one client that you pull? You like, bam! This is gonna be big for us, right? What are some of your latest wins? Oh, they're all wins. Wins. It's just. I mean, I, I I definitely have the mentality for success. I would say working with Kyle Kuzma and JaVale McGee. I would say that. Um, I, I was gonna bring it up, but I was I was gonna let you do it. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I say this with Javel McGee. It was cool because it's still we're still super new sometimes working with these guys. They have like their um, Javel has a really amazing uh, black woman working for him. Her name is Alani Ford, so she's listening or anybody that knows Javel. Alani is amazing. Um, so what I would do is because he had an interest in music, I like for example in 2019, come out to Coachella. Like, you know, he, he has a Pierre music group. People don't realize he has like this alias, kind of like Marshmallow or like Sia, where they, they hide they bet his face. So he wears like a bobblehead, okay? <laughs> and so he doesn't even really want, because he wants people to take him seriously as a producer. He actually placed a song with Justin Bieber. He actually, on Justin Bieber's latest album, Seville McGee has a, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I really wanted to do more PR behind that, but then the bubble... And then the COVID happened, but um, yeah, he just wants people to take him seriously. And I was like, so I went up to him, his mother um, and his aunt, see his mother's a twin, his mother and his aunt played for USC, uh, the Trojans. And there's a movie on HBO called uh, uh, Women of Troy. Hmm. And talked about his mom played with like, I think, uh, I just wanna say Cynthia Cooper. I just wanna, I just, I, I forget the, the doc. But um, I went up to him at the, the premiere and I was like, dude, do not discount the fact that you have a song with Justin Bieber. Like, do not. It's a really good song. I believe it's called um, Available. The song is called Available. And it, it might, you might see it. It might say Javel McGee or Pierre Music Group. And I was like, dude, that's huge. He's like, oh, yeah, thank you. And I was just like, y'all or something else. But I was really worried he wasn't going to go to Coachella that year because it's not close to L.A. It's like at least a two-hour drive to go to Palm Springs. So um, I wanted him to go. And Kyle Kuzman didn't go, but JaVale did. And so I was really, really happy. Like, I was just like, so that was, that was good. But also, just I, it's hard to say what's a win nowadays anymore. I would say this, like, they, but they won. They won the championship at this very trying time of the year. And um, having some, some at least a deal on the table for somebody like a Kyle Kuzma, like, you know, at least presenting it to his team where it would not normally, like, happen. So that's just that's just one of the wins for me. It's like these clients win, but it, sometimes their team is shocked or not ready and thinks that the phone is going to be ringing. You still got to be proactive. You still got to go out and say. But the thing is, while he was in his championship run, we were talking to companies about working with him, you know, and a lot of people want to style him. So I just send it over to his stylist. So it, it, it really comes. I would say this. If I had to say my biggest win, it would be Jasmine Finlater, who was a Team USA bobsled athlete. We got sick of the, the racism that, you know, USA bobsled was putting her under. And I was like, girl, you a bobsled athlete and your father's Jamaican? Girl, we about to make the first ever women's Jamaican bobsled team. We about to be cool runnings too. <laughs> and, and I said, you about to change nationality. And she was like, what? And so she was like, that's actually a good idea. She was like, uh, her boyfriend at the time. And she's like, he's, he was, he's been talking to me about that too. I was like, girl, I, I can't take any more 
phone conversations about Team USA is treating you like this and you're crying and they're taking advantage of you and they're trying to make you sign athlete agreements that are not fair. And I said, because my approach is militancy. So if you can't get with my solution, then we're going to have to do something else. So she went to the consulate. She did what she had to do. She did her paperwork. She switched over. Then the, Jam- the men Jamaican bobsled team from Cool Runnings, they're still heavily involved in the sport as presidents of Jamaican bobsled, you know, just different marketing um, and they still try to help develop. So she already had her experience with Team USA. She's already an amazing pilot for bobsled. We took her over there. She made history. Like Jamaica knows, you know? So when they walked into that stadium, even though Jamaica, in the Winter Olympics, mind you, don't forget, this is the Winter Olympics. This is a winter sport. So she's coming in the stadium and they like, you know, they got the, she act like she had carnival. Like they dancing, the Jamaican team, they just dancing. Everybody um, that was watching, because a, a lot of our people don't watch the Winter Olympics, but a lot of people that did, they were like, Jamaica already won the Olympics just the way they walked in. Like they was just like, winding and just coming in with a lot of flavor. She got really emotional at the Olympics talking about diverse representation and winter sports and being a curly haired black woman and, you know, just being an inspiration for other black girls. Her, I have made so much money with this athlete in terms of endorsement deals and she's not even a household name. So it just lets me know, like, it doesn't matter. What matters is the sponsors. The sponsors know who she is. They put her in commercials. Their story is out there. I mean, a lot of these commercials expire after the Olympics, but the deals that I've been able to do in telling my client's story um, and working with sponsors, working with media, it's just, it's too many to name, but it always, it's always a good feeling when you're at the Olympics and the sponsors are taking care of you because they can't interact with the athlete because the athlete's competing. But the Sponsors take us out to dinner. That's how I kind of kicked back there. I was in Rio de Janeiro, like at Foga the Child, eating with Team Budweiser, and they're taking care of our meal for the night. And you know the Brazilian steakhouse; they keep bringing on food until you <laughs> turn that card over and say stop. So I'm like, I'm in a Brazilian steakhouse in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, at the Olympics. Like this is like a lifelong dream for me. Like I went to a classical Greek middle and high school in Kansas City. So classical Greek is all about Olympic sports. I was learning everything from fencing, swimming, diving, track and field, basketball, weight, uh, weightlifting, wrestling. We knew about all the sports in, at this school. So um, to now be working in, in sports in the Olympic space, I have to credit it back to this black school in Kansas city that was, you know, doing classical Greek for middle and high school. And I think elementary, our magnet equivalent was Satchel Paige, which is named after somebody from the Negro. Mm-hmm. Roots. My middle school was named after Paul Robeson, who was a Renaissance man from football, poet, activist, lawyer, opera singer. So I just always knew that we, we do whatever we want to be in one sport and say, I'm only going to concentrate in one sport. I was, that's a disservice. So I look up, uh, like Joseph Ballone, who was a, a, they call the Black Mozart, but he was a fencer, an equestrian, a military commander, and a violinist. I just always looked at our people as they can do so much, still doing these things with under the uh, the torture of racism, you know, so it's been a, it's been a journey. It's, who knows yet? Who knows where, where we're going to end up? Yo, you've been winning, winning. Like <laughs> you've been really winning. Championships winning, right? Um, and then I mean, I can only imagine. God, I my home team, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Look at you. Um, the the Dodgers won the Super Bowl, which is like one of my favorite teams out here. I love their stadium. Jackie Robinson, when he left, 
um, the Negro Leagues. He left the Kansas City Monarchs. He went to the Brooklyn Dodgers, which is now the L.A. Dodgers. So at the year that my Chiefs win the Super Bowl, the Lakers are winning with everything that went on with Kobe this year. And just it was just like you. I, I just told somebody um, I was in the clubhouse and I went to a sports room. They want to talk about sports radio. They bring me up on the stage. And I'm like, I don't want to talk sports. I'm tired. I get a nap. Like, these guys just went through the bubble. I had to listen to talk radio talking about, oh, they're bringing in strippers and they're partying. So what? Let them live. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, these guys are playing under some conditions that are just unsafe. Like, let them have a mental break. So it just made me really upset. Like, we need more Black media, Black sports personalities. We need more Black voices that actually care about the athletes and don't see them as workhorses. If they want to go to a strip club or if they want to go out to eating with their girlfriends while they were in the NBA bubble, that is okay. Like, to me, it was like, I do not want to hear some old white men talking about what they should be doing for your entertainment purposes and for your pockets. So it was just, so I was just like, now we're right back in season. And I'm just like, you know what? It's just like, I make good money in it. But at the same time, it's like, if, when the moment I'm, I'm not having fun anymore, it's like, you can't even have fun with it because there's nobody at the games. Mm. You know, we didn't get a parade. We didn't get, the only thing we got downtown LA was some Mexicans shooting up and drifting on the, in, in the middle of Sunset <laughs> Boulevard. But other than that, and I'm serious, it was Mexican Dodger fans just like pop, 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 popping off guns and fireworks everywhere. That's the most I got mm. <laughs> as a fan. So it's just everything's so surreal now. And even though I love sports entertainment, I'm just asking, like, when do we stop working? Like, we're making trillions and billions still for them in the middle of a global pandemic. It's like, dang, we still being treated like workhorses. So it's just sad. I stay in it to win it because I want to be an encouragement to, to do the right thing. I think my voice is valuable, but at the same time, it's just like, oh my gosh, this is so, it seems so frivolous sometimes, you know, in the midst of everything that's going on. So I'm trying to keep it real, but that takes a lot of meditation. It takes a lot of, you know, just inner resolve. So I don't blow up on anybody because sometimes it just seems so like um, insensitive and tone deaf, you know, and I'm trying to make sure that it's not. So I don't know if if you take the excursions to to help yourself, um, you know, go through that mental process or to get you get, or to get away from it all. But you've been living, living. So talk, <laughs> so, so talk to me about, um, you know, your 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 favorite trip. Right. You've been on um, you've been to the Sahara Desert. Right. So you're on the back of camera like you're doing your thing. Um, yeah, I, I love you, travel. Yeah. You were in. um. Oh, that was a really super dope car you were in. You the the caption was "Big Drip Too Hard," right? Twenty <laughs> shot you was in. Yo, you was doing your thing. Yo, talk to me about that. Like, talk to me about first. Uh, first and foremost, uh, that is so funny. A client is actually the one that got me traveling. He was like, we were in Hawaii filming for Nickelodeon, one of my gymnasts, and he was like. Lila, he was like, you consider this a vacation? I was like, yeah, I'm in Hawaii. Living up. He was like, Lila, this is not a vacation. Like, honey, I need for you to take a real vacation. Stop using the Olympics as a vacation. Stop <laughs> using your, your work production trips. And so I was like, oh my God, you're right. I've never taken just a vacation. So then... Uh, some maybe that like a year later, my sister was like, "Lila, your company is amazing, but you're not stunning hard enough. You need to <laughs> stunt." 
And I'm like, uh, I'm just so boho chic. And like, she's like, you need to stun on them. And so I was just like, what does that mean? Like, I don't like wearing Fendi and Gucci. I like black designers. You know what I'm saying? I'll buy some pure moss. I'll stun in that. But people don't even know what Brother Veli's or pure moss is. So I'm like, okay. So I'll make sure they know. So when I wear it, I'll let people know, like, this is, you know, like, public school. Like, them know it's a black designer, too. But honestly, um... Some of my favorite trips have been um, coming after the Olympics. We, we made a commitment after the uh, Korean 2018 Winter Olympics. Instead of rushing back home to take care of like sponsors and media, we said we were going to travel the world. So we went to London. Mm. Um, we went to Marrakesh. Um, we had stops in Portugal, uh, Spain. And before we went back to London and then came back to the States. So it was just like, no, I really have to do that because I do not want to burn out. Um, my favorite trip would be going to Sudan, going to the Sahara, because, again, I'm going to make I can't help it. but I'm going to make a pleasurable trip for like personal reasons. I'm going to turn it into business. Sudan um, was just uh, removed from the terrorism list of state sponsored, you know, um, state economic sanctions have been lifted. So the people there are like, wow, Americans can start coming here again and doing business again. You can open bank accounts now, uh, thanks to some changes from the Obama administration. So now that Sudan has kind of changed, um, I'm like, yo, y'all don't even have ATMs in this country. Like I didn't realize until like my last day in the country, I kept trying to pay. I, would, I went to a five-star restaurant at a five-star hotel and wanted to pay for my food. And I, I ate. I, this was like one of my last nights in town. I, whew, <laughs> I was eating so good. I had hookahs, and I'm in. I'm like in the middle. I'm eating fish from the freshly caught from the Nile River. Mm. Then I go to give them my card, and they were like, "Oh, we don't take cards. Like this is Sudan." They kept telling me, and I didn't. I didn't catch on until like the last day. Like we don't. We don't take cards. So then when I was trying to fly out, change my ticket, I was like, okay, fine, I'll change my ticket because of COVID. I couldn't lay over in Egypt for 12 hours. I had to change my flight and do this any other. I was like, fine, I'll change my flight. Here's my card. Again, they were like, ma'am, again, this is Sudan. We do not have credit card payment services. So I'm like, yo, I'm over here on the business trip trying to figure out, trying to open up like uh, my own retail distribution, trying to open up. I'm like, y'all need ATMs. Like they fly to Egypt for ATM. So I was like, I got to go back to the basics. I'm just like, you wouldn't know unless you, you don't know unless you go. Mm. So the fact that I was there on the ground, I'm like, whoever helps bring this whole entire nation up to economic codes and standards, just for processing credit card payments, just for putting up ATM, you're going to be a millionaire, billionaire. So all while I'm on my Facebook talking to people about this and just, yeah, I see these beautiful pyramids because I'm really about claiming our culture and not whitewashing Kemet and what the Nubian pyramids are. Like that cultural exchange is very important, but at the same time, there's economic opportunities. And so I'm trying to open that up. So that's just a, a big play. But then you see literally while I was there, General Electric put out a, a deal memo that they were going to spend $197 million bringing Sudan back up to electricity standards, meaning they don't have 24-hour electricity around, let's say, mm. 7.30 to 9.30. Certain neighborhoods just completely black out. And I'm, I, I have the video. It was so funny. I was at dinner my last night in town. This five-star hotel It's shaped like a big pineapple type. And we're out in the African gardens eating dinner and smoking hookah and drinking. Or they don't even have, they know they don't have alcohol in the whole country, excuse me. <laughs> I was drinking tea. 
hibiscus. But then all of a sudden, the whole entire city goes out. And then they are used to it. Mm. Every they don't even have uh, um, hourly um, electricity. They they just the whole time. Then they have to use backup generators. So General Electric was like, I see the business opportunity. You when you see a country like that, you don't say Africa's poor. You you see it as an opportunity to help bring them electricity. So I would never say, oh, they're this is such a poor nation. It is one of the poorest nations in Africa, but their their GDP is exporting gold and petroleum. So how could a nation that's exporting gold and, mm. and petroleum or uranium, how could they be considered poor? Because what they're exporting is in the the whole world needs. Mm. The, the thing that they need is wheat, wheat, bread. They just need bread. Their whole entire uprising, political uprising was over the cost of bread going to mm. like $9 a loaf. So when you see stuff like that, when you're traveling, it's beautiful to go to the pyramids, to go to all the temples. But then you're thinking like, I'm thinking infrastructure. I'm thinking like, even if I set up like five to 10 ATMs, like I'm going to be racking up, you know, it's just like, <laughs> so, <laughs> like they only have ATMs there. They, so it's just so interesting. So, um, but that has been going with my family to Bali was amazing again, but we're thinking, how can we get this Bali tea at $80 a cup? You know, in the United States, they, they take the tea and it's $80 a cup, but over there, it's like $8 for the box of tea. So we're just like, yo, we got to start selling Bali tea. So my, we can't help it. Like, whenever we travel, we somehow end up feeding families. We find, we always find a local family to feed. <laughs> we, we're just mm. like, we, that's what kings and queens do. So that's just on my personal. But really, I was looking at my... Um, my Instagram thing, wondering what people like you would think coming over from Clubhouse. Cause I'm like, there's no sports. There's really nothing to put. Like I put, all right, Kyle Kuz with Javelva Gee, they won a lot, but that's just one post. And then I have some pictures with us, you know, and the athletes yeah. throughout the years. And we only work with Lakers. But after that, I'm just like, what am I supposed to do for the other nine months? You know, so I, I want to let people know, like, this is who I am behind the job. I think sometimes we get so into the what someone does for a living that we forget about the person. So I don't know what how my social media is coming across right now, but I have to I, I try to mix in a little bit of business and a little bit of personal. Quite dope. That's how it's coming across. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I hope I'm not confusing these people. I try to put my company tag there so you can go see the company stuff that we're doing. But to me, it's like I want people to know that we are successful. Like my sister said, you've got to start a little bit and let people know that we do make it. We make really good money. So it's like a, a group on Clubhouse called How to Get Rich, you know, and people are asking, like, are any of y'all in here rich? <laughs> so it's just like, oh, we're black people. We always got to prove. I'm from I'm from Missouri originally, so I don't have a problem. I'm from the show me state. Yep, like, I'll you show, show you it. receipts. <laughs> I'll show receipts. I love it. I sometimes show you the receipts before you even had a question. I'm just like, here, I'm showing you receipts. Because everybody was like, why is Lila talking about Sudan so much and the uprising? And I was like, because I got people on the ground. I got contacts on the ground. So when I went, and then it all makes sense. That's what I'm saying. Mm. When you're a visionary, you just got to do it sometimes. And doesn't you don't have to worry about it making sense to, like, the everyday person. It'll all come together. It'll all make sense. So... I think people that are in Hollywood that work in entertainment, I think they get it because sometimes projects take years to come out, but they know whenever it comes out, it's going to be like Oscar worthy or they know it's going to be a hit. So, so you just got to have faith. Yeah. You got, you got young girl, right? Young man. They're looking at your mm -hmm. Instagram. And they're like, yo, 
she is really living. One day I want to be on the back of a camel. I wonder how <laughs> I can do it, right? <laughs> I wanna I want a big drip too hard too. Um so if if those are the things, right? If you're basically writing a book, right? So the the Lila Brown book, right? And you got basically there's three chapters in this book that I absolutely have to read. And and no, what are those three chapters, right? The three chapters to help me to to reach um, at least a taste of the level of success that you've been able to achieve so far, right? Um, what, what, what's in that? What's in, in those chapters? What's the title of those three chapters? Wow. So the first chapter would probably be like, uh, just respect your childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember, I, I hear a lot of people on Clubhouse or just talk about their trauma, their childhood trauma, and sometimes realize that, that makes us stronger. Um, but also with respect to my childhood, the fact that I did go to schools named that. Okay, so my middle, my elementary school was Christmas Addicts, mm-hmm. Mass Communications and Writing Magnet. Like when you say the shot her around the world, like that was a big deal. Christmas Addicts, uh, the American Revolutionary War. Then a school named Paul Robeson. Then going to like Central High School, which was um, um, classical Greek and computer science. Like if I look back on my childhood, like I got to select what schools I wanted to go to in terms of magnet mm-hmm. programs. So I had to trust that was something in me, even at a young age, that was just calling out to me. It may have been my future, like do these things and because I was always somebody that trusted myself even in this scary world where there you are like encouraged to like maybe not and there's self-doubt that creeps in um and you you'd be surprised especially for black women they just like oh you don't fit you're not a good cultural fit you don't fit in with the company culture or what have you even though you're being rejected the only thing that really keeps you going is I guess the next chapter is to trust your gut you know, just really trust your gut, trust your intuition, um, especially I think at being a woman in this uh, industry, it's just we have a, a like a sixth sense, you know, and so we really have to trust that. And then I think third, oh, my gosh. Oh, that's the tough one. That's the one that's probably still being written right now. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Just not being afraid to express yourself. Sometimes you have so many things bottled up on the inside and and then you might end up snapping on someone. But when you start to get to a point where you're expressing yourself and you really just dump all that toxicity, whether it's good or bad, or you you just kind of dump that energy and just get it out, just exhaust it. Then you get to fill up with something better. But if you're holding on to grudges, if I sat and held on to all the grudges and the people that mistreated me in the industry, I would be so Mm. still very bitter. I wouldn't be able to just see uh, a lot of what's happening um, on <laughs> somebody's dog. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> somebody's dog just <laughs> like was about to come for me. Um, no, but no, honestly, the um, I, I think that chapter that's still being written right now is just like healing past any like mm-hmm. thing that has happened to me in the industry, and just really um, just knowing like I was being honest with myself. And sometimes, um, and like I said, the reward for me was seeing, like, I told you so, like all these companies that are like now trying to figure out their diversity and inclusion, they're all trying to realize, and I'm like, nah, you can't say that you never, you didn't have any, um, body, you know, guiding you in that direction. So for them, diversity and inclusion meant more, um, excuse me, meant hiring white women, you know? For them, that's what diversity meant. So I think a lot of people are pushing back. The resistance is really speaking out and saying, no, we want to see true change. We want real equity. And so that was a, a lot of things. People was like, oh, you're too militant. But I had to be honest. Like, 
And so, but then it's funny. Then when they want to, when people want to start speaking out more, then they, they want you to like, tell me how, how is it that you are militant? You speak out, you express yourself, you black power, but you still get deals done. You still making money because to me, it, it's a game. To me, it's just about measuring success. It's like, man, my sales goal is a million dollars for this project. So I go out and do it. I win. I didn't do it just to stunt. I did it to to prove, you know, the strategy was, you know, to prove the strategy was effective. So for me, it's more so about getting the project done or getting the campaign complete as opposed to so much more of the money. But the money is good. And then I've also realized, I guess this this chapter that's still being written, like when you're expressing yourself, like don't devalue yourself. That's part of the expression. Like if you tell somebody, I've literally had people tell me like, you're way too underpriced. Because now like if if somebody feels like they're a million dollar brand and you're only charging $500 a month for PR, they're like, you don't even have the bandwidth to you know, really take on this project. You're not charging enough. Cause I know to get this off the ground, it's gonna take more. The photographer is at least that much. A website build out is at least. So when you come in there, no, I've learned to hit them in the head, hit them over the head with whatever, like increase your rate. Like every year your rate should be going up 10%, you know? Um, that's part of, I think, part of expressing myself is like, yeah, my, my rate is $25,000 for this quarter. And then my business partner really helps with that. Having a male business partner that's really bold whenever I'm like sometimes in my little feminine way, it's like, oh my God, we're charging them too much. You're never going to hire us. And then when they'd be like, okay. And you'd be like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Pay front, uh, pay 50% up front. You're like, whoa, okay. All right. Now the money's in the bank. You're like, oh, I got to actually do the work. You got to actually do the work. So now you're like, nah, I was really like undervaluing. And so now they trust you because they now know that they are paying you enough. They trust mm-hmm. that. And, and when people start to pay you, they have these higher expectations. So now we can elevate the conversation now because they're paying you. Now you're they're a paid client. They can start dictating what they want. And if they're paying good enough, you can tell me, well, I'll do whatever you need me to do on an hourly. You know, I, I, um, I bill by the hour, too. So or we or we invoice by the hour. So when they start paying that big amount. And then sometimes because you, you're giving way too much and you're not being paid enough. So I learned like for all those years that I was giving 110 percent and they were only paying me like half of what I was worth. And I make up for it nowadays. But when you do have that 10, 11 years experience, you can charge more. So and then you have the experience and then you have the worst case scenario. And it's so funny. I realized with a lot of young talent that you think that this is just second nature. You just think like, oh, I'm, I'm older now. I'm like, oh, this is just obvious. This is common knowledge. But to them, it's like, no, we have no idea what to do. Mm. We have no idea how to communicate with the media. We have no idea how to clean this mess up. Or we have no idea how to leverage this championship win. Then you're like, oh, that's where you start to realize your expertise is highly valuable. It's highly mm. valuable. So that's, the, that's the, that trusting yourself, expressing yourself, trusting your good intuition. And then re- really respecting your childhood. Just what, what were the things that you really liked to do? Not saying what you wanted to work at, but what were you good at? Like when I was in elementary school, I was taking tape recorders, going around interviewing people. I had a little typewriter. I was writing my little neighborhood newspaper, things I saw in the neighborhood. I just had a knack for media. I just had a knack for media. Wow. So respect your childhood, right? Trust your gut and express yourself. 
Those yes. are the three chapters. I love it. I love it. So look, <laughs> we we um this is one thing that we do here, right? Um we're we're a praying fan base. Um and so if there's anything like if we're we're you know thinking about you while we're praying, right? We're like, okay, cool. Um I got Lila on my mind, right? What are some things that you would want us to think about for you and, and pray about for oh, you? Oh man, I I just want everybody to meditate. Start the day with peace. You know, we're going out to the world sometimes. It is a war path. It's a war zone. And so when if you can remember anything about me when it comes to your own prayers, your own meditation, it's just to instill inner peace. And that inner peace is um, what when we say hetep, like hotep. That's an inner peace that cannot be disturbed. There's a lot of people like, I'm so religious, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. But as soon as somebody pisses them off, they go into straight devil mode. When you are truly at peace, that is something that cannot be disturbed. And people will think you're crazy because you're calm when someone else is hyped. But sometimes that you're being calm can bring them back calm, you know, and letting them know that this is not a game. I'm very serious. I will protect myself and I will defend myself. But sometimes just, you know, really like I, I don't attract drama because I start my day with peace. So for me, if, if, if anything, you, when you think about me, just think about your own meditation when you are at peace, you not ending up on the news or, or some violent crime makes my day go by easier. <laughs> you know, because we with a melanin, we can all feel what's happening to each other. We're just naturally empathetic. Melanin connects us in such a way that I don't think we really talk about scientifically. So if, if I see something happening to you on the news, I would rather not. Mm. Maybe us really just teaching our children meditation. So when they're dealing with things in school or just teaching our men, our brothers and sisters, just start the day with peace before you leave your house, taking some time to meditate, do some positive affirmations. I am powerful. I'm successful. I'm beautiful. I am wise. I am capable. I'm more than enough. Whatever your affirmations are, when you go into the world, you're radiating that. And you that, that is a form of protection. I don't have guns. I don't wear bulletproof vests or anything like that. But I still feel I can go to, I went to Sudan by myself. I go to Mexico all the time by myself. People are like, aren't you afraid of the cartel? No, because whatever's inside of me is going to radiate out. So I'm extra pr protective when I'm out, but I still know, like if I'm disturbed and there's drama and um, stress in my heart, then I know that it's gonna, everything I'm gonna do, I'm gonna be fumbling. I might get into a car accident. So when you are at truly at peace, a peace that cannot be disturbed, an inner joy that cannot be disturbed, it will radiate out. And hopefully it'll affect everyone around you in a positive way. And that means avoiding a lot of uh, interactions with police because they can't even touch you because your energy is just peace. And so if you're like less, um, What's the word? If you're less suspicious, like because you're afraid, you afraid of them, they afraid of you, and y'all too, y'all afraid of each other, y'all sitting here looking at each other, and, you know, then they're reacting. But if you come and you're peaceful and you're calm, it just that it's just so powerful beyond measure. So that's just kind of when I think when I think about like I'm not I'm not a um a Christian or anything. Uh, I'm more so on the Buddhist side. You could even say atheist. But for mm. me, my spirituality is um, coming from my ancestors. My ancestors flow through me, you know, they're in my DNA. Me, when I heal, I always think, especially during this pandemic, I always say, we say, our ancestors worked for 400 years. Well, then rest. Take this pandemic to rest. <laughs> Get some rest. 
Your ancestors are still flowing in your DNA. So when I heal, I know that I'm healing some situations. Or sometimes I get really sick and upset about things that probably have nothing really to do with me, but it's probably something that's triggering from a past life. So sometimes I'm like, I might not personally need to heal them, but it might be my grandmother's blood flowing through me or my great, great grandmother's blood that's agitated by something that has nothing to do with me. But I'm going to take this moment to focus on some type of healing and love. And I, I know that I'm healing some degenerational wounds, you know, some trauma even. So that's a blessing, though. And then the, the more I do that, the more I start to uncover things about my own lineage. And that's really helping me uh, with my genealogy and, and getting my family estate back in order. That's what we talk about in our community, generational wealth. But then we just kind of just toss the ancestors like they're just some ghosts. But your ancestors are literally in your DNA. All the people that it took to make one you, you know, it took thousands of people throughout history to make just one of us. So that's a huge responsibility. Yo, um, with me. You would love conversations about epigenetics. Like, you, you know about epigenetics? You would love conversations. It sounds, it sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. You would, you would love conversations about epigenetics. It's, it's right in line uh, with, with some of the stuff you're talking about and how that, how that uh, your DNA and how that stuff works with your past. Right. Um, Absolutely. So it's more so about. Well, anyway, we'll talk about it offline. All right. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> All right. So thank you so much for joining us. We truly You're appreciate so you um, for being you. here. We really do appreciate you sharing your story with us. Um, sharing your book idea with us. I know the book will come out at some point. Um, so <laughs> everybody says that. I tell them you were my book. Go on Facebook. At this point, I've done over three hundred live videos. I don't know what I'm gonna put in this book, but I, I don't know. I'm thinking about Clubhouse. If you stay on Clubhouse, there's enough you know people that will teach you how to do anything so yeah. it was so cool meeting it. you so cool meeting you on clubhouse that's the new thing now like we're the cool kids we're like the first <laughs> on clubhouse. it is kind of cool because you're kind of um it, it's funny you have to let people in right like you have to invite people right and everybody's not invited it's kind of cool it's kind of cool i like it <laughs> but thank you so much for joining us we truly appreciate you. you hey look if you're out there thank you so much for listening we truly appreciate appreciate you as well listen go ahead and subscribe go ahead and leave us a review we love you we appreciate you we thank you and we um and we're just blessed by you listening to our podcast god bless you we love you talk to you later stuck inside of this basement wasted dream so big so vivid i mean i swear to y'all i can taste it Kick so good, but I don't know none of y'all out here that's gonna make it. So I go and get mine from the public and they love it, but I'm chasing. Sugar free brand, man. A lot of people living that sweet life to just faking. There ain't nothing more cold in my mind than me to being so real and authentic. And I'm riding around with my windows down and got nothing to hide it.